0: This is Learn Right from the Leadership Institute. I'm your host, Ron Nearing, and I'm joined by our guest, Bill Falk, well-known and well-experienced uh, political strategist from New York. The Leadership Institute is the nation's leading organization training conservatives to succeed in the public policy arena. Today's podcast is part of the Institute's new school board campaign training program, which you can reach online at leadershipinstitute.org schoolboard school board. Here with me in the studios for episode two is Bill Falk. Bill, welcome to the program. Thanks. Glad to be here. Well, we just had Tom Jones in for episode one, where we talked about research, candidates researching themselves, their opponents, their their district, and how important research is to creating a narrative for the campaign, not being surprised, and and also making that decision to run, uh, if uh, if the candidates in a, in a good position to do that given uh, their history. Now we move on to discussing campaign strategy and planning for a campaign, and so. Uh, Take us through a little bit about how we start once we've kind of done our initial research, what's involved with with planning a campaign, starting with a vision and then moving on from there.
1: Yeah, any campaign, you have to have a vision. You know, you got to try to figure out why you're running. What's the what's the purpose of your campaign? Um, You know, you might be running to get elected to the school board, might be running just to raise awareness about an issue, um, something that's important in the community. Uh, you need to really define that vision and, you know, connect it to, to values and, you know, how those values are shared with you and members of the community and try to define why you're actually running.
0: And for school board candidates, that vision has to tie into the quality of the local schools, doesn't
1: it? Absolutely. You know, if you're running for school board, um, whatever your, 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 your vision is, it has to be um, something that's going to benefit the local school district or the school board or, you know, the community. Um, you're not running for school boards to lower taxes, you know, um, at the state level, right? You're running for school board to lower taxes at, the, for instance, the school board level. So it needs to be related to specifically for the race you're in.
0: And so when we're talking about a vision for our local schools, uh, the students really have to be at the center of that, don't
1: they? Oh, absolutely. If, if you're running for school board, right, the school, the, the students are are the number one um I guess, factor in any race. Anything that you're doing should be benefiting the school's district children.
0: So when, when we're setting out what that vision is, it seems to me that that could include, we wanna have every child deserves a world-class education and then having a vision that's tied to the current situation of schools, maybe increasing graduation rates or increasing uh, college admission rates or providing a better diversity of educational programs or other things that will constitute improvements to the schools.
1: Yeah, and those types of things, they're shared values, right? We all have those values. We all want to see our students succeed, higher graduation rates, better opportunity, and those are the kind of things that resonate with with the average voter in, in out there in the community, and I, I think you can leverage that to definitely, you know, make your campaign successful.
0: When one of the campaign planning tools that uh, that we teach at Leadership Institute involves something called a SWOT analysis, which of course is not specific to the Leadership Institute, but it is a valuable tool commonly used in business schools, for example, uh, taught in business schools, for example. Um, can you w- walk us through how a candidate evaluates their strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats? using a SWOT analysis. What is it, what does it look like, and what are the components of it?
1: You know, essentially, uh, a SWOT analysis, as you mentioned, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, it's kind of like a, like a box or, f- or four squares, and then the upper left-hand side are your strengths, and the upper right-hand side are your weaknesses, and then the bottom left is your opportunities, and then on the bottom right is your, th- is your threats, right? Your strengths are the things that you bring to the table as a candidate, the things that, are, that would benefit your campaign you know, your weaknesses are possibly your, your opponent's strengths or just um, weaknesses in your own positions, maybe your background or something that's just not necessarily um, something that's beneficial to your campaign. Your opportunities, you know, those types of things are usually um, they could be your, your opponent's weaknesses. Uh, it could be something that you can develop as the campaign progresses. And then your threats are you know those are the, the things that you really can't control necessarily. Um, your opponent's strengths, things like that. And you, you lay out the, the almost like in a grid format, and you write down in each box each of these categories, and you try to a- analyze it. Obviously, you want to focus on your strengths and your opportunities, not so much your threats and your weaknesses. So when a candidate has gone through that process,
0: uh, and this, this should probably be something that is not only done by the candidate, but involves campaign team, trusted volunteers, supporters, things like that, then that's that has to be supplemented with your own situational awareness and your own analysis of the situation, right? And how does, so you, you've been involved in dozens of campaigns on Long Island. What are some of the things that you look for when evaluating your, the, the situation that you find themselves in beyond just what shows up on paper?
1: Well, one of the things you look at is what's going on in other races. Uh, if your school board race happens to be at the same time as other races, those other races could affect your race. Um, maybe there's other factors outside at, at a higher level, uh, things are just going on in the state capitol and Washington that maybe there's not a race going on, but these national issues that maybe are affecting your race. Maybe there's something out there that's really popular and oppressed that's resonating locally. These are the kind of things that might not pop up in your SWOT analysis, but just being out there on the ground that you kind of feel are, are percolating out there.
0: So when uh, that political environment, could have an impact. Uh, I felt that firsthand in 2014, when I was the Republican nominee for Lieutenant Governor of California. 2014 was a great year for Republicans. Democrats had a, had a very bad year, so I had the benefit of being on the ballot uh, with a Republican designation in a year that was great for Republicans. Uh, didn't Still didn't win, wasn't enough to compensate for the Democrats' registration advantage in the state. Four years later, 2018 was not a good year for Republicans. Uh, and uh, and there was actually no Republican even on the general election ballot for lieutenant governor in California because of that external uh, impact of the national political environment uh, that it had. But that impacted my race in 2014 because I had that partisan label next to my name. But if you're running for school board, in most cases, you don't have that partisan label next to your name. So that national political environment may not have as much of an impact, but there could be other things that do.
1: Well, You know, it might not hurt you because you're not labeled, but there are still issues that could affect the campaign. Um, If I'm, you know, I'm talking about just an example, spending more money on after school activities or band or sports, and there's this big national push for less taxes, like you know, during you know when the Tea Party was at its height, you know, something like that doesn't an external factor that could you know affect your race, even though it's not necessarily a partisan issue. Things like that could could trickle down to a local race like that.
0: So, for example, right now, uh, many people have been talking about critical race theory. It's hard to turn on the uh, the evening news without seeing a discussion of that, and that has that 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 is not a purely partisan uh, issue, although it, it it may tend to break down along partisan lines. But it's certainly something that is impacting the environment when people are thinking about schools today.
1: Yeah, it's a great example. Um, you know, if I'm running for school board, I might be running for school board because I want to see you know. Better education, better school programs, but out there in the community, people are concerned about critical race theory, and that's maybe not something that was an issue for me going into this race, but now because of the environment, it's something I need to address.
0: So when we when we factor in our SWOT analysis and our situational awareness, ultimately we want to help a candidate wind up with a with a strategy statement. What is a strategy statement? What does it look like, uh, and why is it important?
1: Well, the strategy statement is gonna you know basically define what you're looking to do right so what what are you looking to do are you looking to um, get elected or are you trying to drop a name ID what are you what are you looking to do that's your strategy um, how are you how you get there is is different but what you're looking to do that's your goal
0: those are your strategic your strategic objectives your broad strategic objectives so'm I'm, I'm looking at one of the slides from our school board campaign uh, training. Uh, program. Uh, and uh, it describes selecting multiple points of strategy. And, and that refers to um, a coherent campaign strategy will will involve several strategic imperatives, several things that must be done in order to reach uh, the end goal. So I'm going to walk you through these, and maybe you can uh, share a little bit of your insight in, in terms of what that means. So one strategy is Targeting one party's base, plus a portion of independent voters and members of other parties, to secure victory. So that's a traditional strategy based on partisanship. How might that strategy be used in a school board race, or does it not work in a school board
1: race? Um, you know, I, I think it depends on on your issues. Think about you can think about think about party R and D, and think about some of the, the the values that are shared by those parties and how they might resonate with your issues. Um, if you're running for school board and your biggest concern is, you know, reducing spending, that would resonate with Republicans more conservative voters. Um, if you're looking to, ex- you know, increase spending and, and expand opportunity, that might resonate more with le- left than, you know, the Democratic voters. Um, so depending on what your, your, your goal is in this particular case, it's you can kind of, you know, use that even though it's, it's not a partisan election. You can still dip into those pools.
0: So another strategy is to project a strong contrast, a clear differences between your side and the opposition. That's a strategy that is more commonly used in a highly competitive race, but probably not used in an uncompetitive race. So when is it important to project a clear differences between your side and the opposition?
1: When you're, you and your opponents have clear differences of, of on issues, right? If, if you are, you know, want to cut spending and they want to increase spending and you know you believe that go- cutting spending is the way to go just all examples that's a clear contrast right? you are completely different on those issues um if you both want to you know increase um after school activities that's not really a good contrast you need to look at the things that 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 set you apart from your opponent and then show the contrast there
0: but that doesn't wouldn't be, apply in every case, right? What if your cam, candidate is well known, but the opposition is not well known? The opposition's invisible. Then do you do you project strong differences? Okay. Then
1: no, you, you have to use it in a, like you mentioned before in a more competitive race, or if if both people are known or unknown, well, you need to you need to find um, a way to, to differentiate you from the other person.
0: Next, dividing voters along ideological lines. That may sound. Harsh the way that's uh, the way that's written, but the reality is sometimes when there's a clear ideological difference and you wind up being on the majority side, that works to your advantage, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. If if the community is you know definitely on one side or the other, and and you're on that side, you want to project that. You want to make sure that you're talking about your positions on these issues to show that you're you're kind of going their way. That your opponent is off the reservation somewhere else.
0: Next we have. Uh, championing a single popular cause—that uh, uh, something that might get a lot of people energized and worked up—we've seen recently uh, uh, conservative candidates in Dallas, Texas, take over the school board, win uh, school board elections by uh, running a campaign against critical race theory. Uh, and uh, and so, how how might that work?
1: Yeah, and I've seen that locally too. If if there is one particular issue that really resonates across, you know, a large body of the population, um, and you can champion that cause, obviously you become, you know, the standard bearer for that cause, and that can definitely help your campaign. I've, I've seen it with, with critical race theory. I've seen I've seen it with um, parents who are trying to um, expand at the school activities and, and special education. You know, if there is something that's out there that people really feel strongly about, and you can hold that banner, then that definitely is a benefit for you.
0: So that may be present, that may not be present, right? Yeah, in, in it depends on the race, a particular, exactly, exactly. In particular campaign. Um, in some cases, it's necessary to build a diverse coalition of voters into a single voting block. This would seem to be a point of strategy that's used when you find yourself not automatically in the majority. You're on the minority side, and so you have to build a diverse coalition of people to get up to that majority.
1: And, that, you know, and, and talking about the school board election, right, that's a, that's a great example Um, You go out there and you get the soccer moms. Uh, Maybe you get the band people. Uh, You get the after-school sports people. Maybe you find the seniors who want to cut taxes. And you kind of roll them all together, right? You build this diverse coalition. Everybody has their own little issue. And you're championing each one of those issues because they're important to you. And you can kind of roll them all together. And that gets you the victory.
0: So depending upon what type of situation you're in, if you are naturally you know, part of a, a natural majority that exists, then you might employ a strategy of dividing voters along ideological lines, in which, in which case you're on the majority side. But if you're on the minority side, that is not going to work because if you divide voters and you're on the minority side, that's not an effective strategy. Then the counter is to build this diverse coalition.
1: Right. And as you mentioned, you can't do them all at the same time, right? (laughs) Well, they they run,
0: they're best suited for different types of circumstances. Exactly, exactly,
1: exactly. So if you could, you know, champion a cause, that's great. If you don't have that one cause, try to piece together your coalition. And that works at all levels.
0: So one classic point of strategy that's nearly universal is creating a positive image, proving your candidate is a good person and a good person to be trusted with the power of government. How do you go about creating a positive image for a candidate. So let's say you have a candidate who's never run for office before, first time, they step up, they want to run for school board. Where do they start? How do you build a positive image in the community?
1: Well, that's where you're going to now trickle down through tactics, right? You now t- need to figure out how you're going to get that message out. Um, you can do mail, you can do social media, um, you know, you can have signs, you know, something like that. You, you want to look at your candidate or yourself and you want to say, okay, I'm a good person, and I'm gonna, you know, you do mail and stuff like that to kind of portray this, um, and maybe it's advertising and showing that you're a good person. Basically, you're gonna look at your history, uh, your biography, uh, things that you've done, things you've done in the community. And say, look at me! I've, I've, I've volunteered in our community. I'm on the audit committee. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a class, class parent. I volunteer at the Little League. All these things that show that you're a good person and that people should support you.
0: What about invo- so there's mail and there's a, all the means that we communicate with voters. Mail is, by the way, a very co- common tactic for uh, for smaller races. Broadcast tends to be the dominant means of communication. A big race, mail and a small race. What about community involvement? What about things that before the voter contact happens, before you're sending mail, etc. What are some of the things that a school board candidate should do proactively so that they are seen accurately as having that positive connection to the community and so on.
1: Just get out there. Get out there. I say to get out there. I don't mean knock on doors. I mean, be involved in the community. Go to the, the sporting events. Go to the parades. Get involved in the Chamber of Commerce or the PTA or the other things in the community. Volunteer. Get your name out there people to know you. Uh, just kind of establish yourself as part of the community so people have some idea of who you are. So that, can,
0: that can include... Chamber of Commerce, sure. the local Kiwanis Club, uh, Boy the, the Scouts, PTA. Girl Scouts,
1: PTA, exactly, all those all so, activities.
0: politics is being 75% relationships, finding opportunities to maximize those relationships,
1: but preferably well before you run for office. Absolutely. And uh, can be helpful. And, and you'll, you'll notice even people who are running for political offices, um, oftentimes be f- a year or so or two years before they actually run, they start popping up in community events. And you say, hmm. What if that guy's doing something, is he going to run for office someday? Because they're getting involved in the community, they want to get out there. People get to know them, and the more involved you are in the community, you you've now established yourself as somebody who's a leader in the community and is somebody who you can trust.
0: Next, in terms of building a volunteer organization, is uh, is is a strategy. We've seen campaigns for school boards that are very energetic that draw in large numbers of volunteers, but we've also seen people win election of school board with just a handful of volunteers. So. Is it, is, it, is it critical to have a large volunteer organization to win a school board race, or is that not essential? What is the role of volunteers in a school board?
1: Yeah, race? it really depends on the race, right? Um, the more volunteers you have, the, the easier it is going to be for you. If you can get a lot of people to help knock on doors, hand out literature, put up lawn signs, you know, do that kind of stuff, it makes it, I don't want to say... You know, easier, but it's it's easy to be more successful when you have you know more people helping you. It's very hard to run a campaign by yourself or one or two people. Uh, you need you need a, a large volunteer base, and you if you're in the community and you're involved in the PTA and the Chamber of Commerce and the Qantas Club and, and the Little League and PTA, you now have an opportunity to get volunteers out of those groups, right? So now you have more of a of a voter of a volunteer pool to, to pull from. Um, the
0: final point of strategy that I thought we'd go into today uh, is, um, and then we'll talk about the pathway to victory, uh, is targeting. And that is that very often a candidate's brand alone does not get them to victory. It might get them part of the way, but it doesn't get them all the way. So going beyond that, matching specific groups of voters with the issues that move them can be a way of bridging the gap between the plurality that you win with your brand and then getting to the plurality or the majority you need in order to win. How do you? What's involved with targeting voters and matching specific groups of voters to issues and move them?
1: Well, you you, know, you you figure out what people what's important to each group. Of people, um, if if it's for instance, just making examples, if it's the sports program and they need new uniforms, maybe you just target the, the parents of the, of the of the athletes and say, you know, if I'm looking to the school board, we're going to get new uniforms. And then you go to the band parents and say, you know, if I get to the school board, we're going to get new instruments. And you kind of, you kind of group them together. You target specifically their issues, as opposed to sending out mail or doing social media or something like that. That's tar- that's that's more general. It's specific to their issues, issues they care about.
0: So this requires having a solid amount of knowledge about what people in the community care about, it, with, as it, it relates. to the It
1: schools. does, and you need to, you know, be out there and, and maybe knocking on doors and. and learning what's important to people in the community.
0: So when you take all of this together, uh, these are all different strategies that can be used in order to accomplish the goal. But when you and I are involved in campaigns, we often talk about a pathway to victory. And this most often, in my experience, comes up when you're communicating with donors or you're communicating with volunteers. Before people give their time or their money to a campaign, they want to know, is there a way that we can win? Or how do we win? But often, that's not particularly well-defined. So to close off this, today's podcast, uh, I want to leave our listeners with a better idea of what is involved with the pathway to victory and why is it so, uh, why is it so important. And so we have a chart, which we cover in the, in the course, which we're going to talk about in just a moment, um, and that is designing the pathway, pathway to victory. So if you, be, if you envision a path, and at the beginning of the path, is where are the voters now, and at the end of the path is where we want them to be, and then the the how we connect those two points is what the pathway to victory looks like. So when we talk about where the voters are now, what does that what does that mean when you look at that? What does that mean in terms of uh, okay, we we need to get voters from somewhere to somewhere. How do we define where they are today?
1: So where they are today is. Um pre-election day pre-campaign if your elections in november but say it's march or april early early on um, and you're going to do initial research um you maybe you know, depending on your your resources maybe you just knock on doors and ask questions maybe you just survey people at, at a little league game or the soccer games and get a get a you know get a feeling of their mood what the, what's important to them what are their priorities as 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 an electorate what's important to them what moves them
0: so that's where they begin
1: that's where you begin but
0: at the, at the end of the campaign, we need to have a majority or plurality, whatever it is, for our candidate to win. And how do we define what are the components of that? So we have to get them from somewhere to somewhere. How do we measure what, what, where we need to get them to?
1: Well, we need to, have, we need to have our vote goals, right? We need to know how many votes we're going to need to get elected to win the election. How, how are we going to figure that out? Um, you know, what, what, what's the feeling come Election Day? Things will be different th- from the beginning to the end. Things can happen nationally. Things can happen locally. The campaign just plays out. People's mood shifts. You know these are the kind of things that you find out at the end, towards the end of the of the campaign.
0: So in the uh, in our school board course, our school board campaign uh, training program, we actually you just taught today at our campaign management school the same presentation on defining a vote goal and your voter contact universe. So yeah. what is a vote goal? And what is in a voter contact universe? What does that
1: mean? The the vote goal is the the actual number, physical number of votes that you need to win the election
0: to guarantee a to win, to
1: guarantee victory. Right? It's not it's not hypothetical. It's not fifty percent plus one. It's an actual physical number. You know, nine thousand twenty seven. You know, whatever it's going to be. Um, it's an actual physical number.
0: So if you're running for school board for the first time and you're putting a campaign together, one of the first things that you need to wind up with to determine in advance before the campaign starts is how many votes do I need in order to win? That's my goal. But right. then there's a, something called a
1: voter contact universe. And what does that mean? Well, once you have that number, let's say it's 9,000 people, just for, for talk's sake, you then have to figure out where those 9,000 votes are coming from. So your universe is going to be you know, developed, um, built by looking at different groups and piecing them together to get to that, that vote goal um, so, in a partisan election. You might look at Republicans or Democrats or independents or something like that. But in a, in a nonpartisan election, it might be different groups. It might be um, seniors. It might be uh, younger people. It might be, you know, uh, property owners versus um, uh, you know, non-property owners or business owners. And you're kind of piecing together this 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 coalition, for lack of a better term, to get you to victory. So
0: candidates should not expect that they're going to have to
1: talk to 100 percent of the voters, are they? No. You you know, it, first of all, especially in the school board base, they tend to have lower turnouts. So you need to figure out how many people are actually going to show up. If there's 1,000 people registered to vote in your school district, you know, odds are you might only get, you know, 200 to actually show up. So these are all things you need to look at and see how many people you actually need to talk to to get to where you want to be.
0: So that means that we're not – the candidate's not going to expect to talk to 100% of the voters. They're going to have to talk to some subset of the voters and persuade a majority of or a plurality of those who were going to turn out and vote which in some school board races could be very low.
1: Absolutely. Definitely. I've seen races where you know turnout was
0: 10%. So you live in New York, I yep. live in California now and uh my school board elections are always on the same ballot uh, with everything else, you know, president or governor or or whatever. Usually they're in the even for in most of the state they're in the even numbered year. Uh, and uh, and they're in November, usually in November. Sometimes some races are not. But the vast majority of them appear on the ballot and everything else. And so, therefore, turnout rates are going to be higher because people are pulled out to vote because of the presidential race or the top of the ticket, whatever. But in New York, in, in your New state, York, it's not necessarily the same way. Is it?
1: Absolutely not. We have our school board elections in May, uh, right before the end of the school year, and it's on its own day. It's statewide. It's the same day, but nothing else is going on of it in school board. So unless there's some compelling reason why I want to go vote for school board, people often don't do it. And turnout is very, very low. 10, 15 percent is, you know, if you get to 20, that's a that's like a you know a huge turnout. Huge turnout. Usually you get turnouts of 10 or 15 percent of these races. They're very, very low turnout. So
0: you might have a population, let's say you have a district which has 50,000 people let's say 75% of them are registered to vote. So let's just say 35,000 of them are registered to vote. You might only have a 20% voter turnout, which would be 7,000 people. And if you have to win a majority of 7,000 people, that is about, you know, 35, that's 3,501 is a majority of 7,000 people. So in a school district with 50,000 people, you might win with 3,500 votes. So Uh, so it it's not so ominous then, right? At first, you think well, fifty thousand people. I have to win the support of half of them. A majority of fifty thousand people is twenty five thousand, but a majority in the case that I just described is only going to be thirty five hundred and one. Right, and.
1: Then- in your case, if you're listening to this podcast and taking this class, you're learning that I don't have to knock on you know 10,000 doors, right? You're, you're gonna you figure it out where your opponents might be scrambling, knocking on doors, no voter lists, just trying to get people out, and you're being more efficient. You're being more calculated. You're gonna target, and you'll have you'll have a better use of resources because you know who to go after.
0: And we're gonna talk about specific voter contact techniques like mail, going door to door, digital, and so on in subsequent episodes of this podcast. So in the in that pathway to victory, we have where the voters are now. We have where we need them to be. Where they are now is what people are thinking about before the campaign starts. Where we need them to be is defined by the vote goals and uh, and uh, and our voter contact universe, the people we need to touch in order to reach that vote goal. Another part of the pathway to victory is what we have to work with, uh, and uh, and that means the candidate and the party and and so. What does a, a campaign have to work with? Where, do, where when you, Theodore Roosevelt once said, "You know, do what you can with what you have, where you are." Candidates often find themselves in that same position. Do what you can with what you have, where you are. What does that mean? What do we have to work with? What What are we starting with?
1: Well, you know, one of the things you want to look at is voter sentiment, right? So, what how, What's the feeling out there? How how, do, how are people reacting? If If people are ambivalent, that's that makes it difficult to get them engaged. If they're fired up over something, that you you can use that. Um, and the other thing you have is your vulnerability assessment, your, your SWOT analysis. Look at look at your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities, and threats. Those are the things you have to work with. You got to figure out how that plays into your campaign.
0: So that might also include what do people already think about the candidate? Right. What do they think about the incumbent? Does anyone even know who these people are? Exactly. And in many of these cases. People don't know who is on their local school
1: board. No, oftentimes they don't. And and where I live in New York, they they serve three-year terms. It's a three-year cycle. um, And I don't remember who voted two years ago. I probably voted for them. Who knows? Because you don't hear from them. It's not like they're an elected official of of a a town or a village who's sending out mail and doing press releases and proclamations. Oftentimes they get elected, and the next time you hear about them is three years later when it's time for re-election.
0: So if a candidate is running for school board for the first time, but... Well, when we look at what we have to work with maybe you're challenging an incumbent who nobody has ever heard of absolutely then the advantage of incumbency is not really exactly, that great.
1: exactly and you know as an incumbent school board member you had the opportunity to do things to to you know to get your name out there you can go to all this, you can go to the sporting events and you can say oh i'm from the school board just glad to be here there's definitely ways you can do you can kind of play off your your, your incumbency and oftentimes especially in the small races People don't have to do that they don't take advantage of, of their incumbency
0: so where the voters are now where we need them to be then what we have to work with that's what people think about the candidates if the, if there are party labels involved usually there are not whether it's on people's minds that's what we have to work with but then we actually have to put you know we have to put the where the rubber meets the road is then what how do we actually get them there how do we get, the voters from where they are, from where we need them to be, and that's where we're communicating with people. That's where we're doing vo- voter contact. And so, what? So once we know what we have to work with, where we have to get them to be, what is involved with with voter contact, and and why is why is voter contact such an essential part of the campaign?
1: Well, you you have to reach out to the voters, right? You have to make contact with them. I know it sounds kind of obvious, right? You need to knock on doors. You need to do mail. You need to get your message out there. Messaging is very important in the campaign. You have to give people a reason to vote for you. You need to command your focus, which is difficult, especially in a small race. Um, And you just need to make sure that you're involved in in the issues that people care about so you can move them towards your campaign.
0: So that means that at the beginning of the campaign, if the election were held before any of the campaigning begins – you're probably not going to be successful, particularly if you're a challenger, because people have voted for the incumbent before, presuming right. the incumbents running for re-election. So we ultimately we have to touch voters, we have to talk to them. They need to re- very often local races that's going to be by mail, yard signs, going door to door, small events, various means of voter contact. But there also needs to be a command focus. It has to be very clear what this campaign is about. What is the school board campaign? about how is the world going to be better if our candidate wins versus another candidate,
1: right? You have to have those, those values, those shared values that you share with the community. And if I win, how is this going to benefit the community? How does my campaign change what's going on? How does it make it better? Give somebody a reason to vote for you. You need to command that focus.
0: So you, you do local races in New York. If a candidate comes to you and says, I want to be on my local school board, what is the process that you're going to take them through?
1: Well, I'm going to ask them why. right? Why? Why do you want to for school board? If they can't answer that question, that's kind of difficult. There should be a reason why. I I, I just helped the candidate last cycle who was running for school board, and she believed that the special education programs in the district weren't good enough. So she had a reason. So it was issue-based, but she had a reason why she was running for school board. Uh, you have to have a reason to vote to to run. It's got to be you just can't be. Well, I mean, I'm a school board. Give me something to do. Resume pad. No, there has got to be a reason. You got to develop that. Well, you can you can develop that with the candidate. Sure, right. They have to have some underlying reason. It can't, it can't just be sounds like fun. You can work with them, but I think there's got to be a vision there, some kind of value, something that's driving, something them. that's driving them. Right, exactly.
0: Okay, so
1: then what? Then, you know. What's the timing? Is now the right time to run? Maybe it's not the right time to run, right? Maybe you want to wait till the next cycle. What's going on in the, in the environment? Figure out why now's a good time to do it.
0: Okay. So we think through what's the what's the why, The which is the most important question in politics is why. Is the timing right? Let's say the timing is right. What comes next?
1: You know, what is victory? How are you defining victory? In some cases, if, it's, if you're looking to raise an issue, for instance, special education, maybe winning the seat isn't necessarily the victory. Maybe just raising awareness about your issue and getting everybody else uh, aware of your issue and engaged in it, maybe that's victory. Depends how you define victory.
0: Um, in most cases, people are going to believe sure. that winning the office Absolutely. is actually a victory. So right. if, if that's the, the ultimate – so we're running for – candidates wants to run, decides now is the right time. They want to win. They don't just want to raise awareness of an issue, which, by the way, there are plenty of campaigns out there which have not succeeded in being elected to the office, but raised awareness of the issue and move the ball forward that way. So they want to win. Then what do you take them through?
1: You know, can you win? Do you think you can actually be successful? Can you get to your goal? Is it attainable? These are questions you need to ask yourself.
0: And so let's say they can. Uh, you you determine, based on your expertise and where they're coming from, that uh, that victory is possible. What should the what are the things that the candidate can expect? They're going to have to spend their time doing.
1: Well, at that point, you need to you know you need to commit to knocking on doors, raising money, uh, being involved. If this isn't something you can do part time, right? You need to really be engaged if you want to be successful.
0: So they have to be ready to spend their time asking people for asking votes, people for votes asking money. people for for money to raise money for their campaign, and we're going to have. Leadership Institute Senior Vice President Steve Sutton on a future episode of the podcast, episode three, talking about fundraising. So ask people for votes, ask people for money to help fund the campaign, and ask people to contribute their time. Right. So, And if they're successful in doing that, then the campaign has the resources to then communicate with the voters in need in order to drive the point home for Election Day. Exactly. And when people are on a school board – They can have some effect on the outcome, can't they? Absolutely. On the quality of education. Absolutely. I I served on a school board, uh, and even though the laws in California where I served on a school board and New York uh, where uh, where you are are somewhat different, school board members still have a significant impact on the course of education in their district.
1: They do. And the other thing, especially in New York, I'm sure it's true of many school school districts, they have a huge, huge impact on property taxes and the cost of education where, you know, in New York, um, your property tax bill is, is 65% goes to the school district. Uh, much higher percentage in the county, the town, or any other special district. So there is a huge financial factor there that these people control. And it's a very important position and it's often overlooked, which is disappointing. It's, it really is astonishing. Uh, having grown
0: up in New York and having owned a house in New York, but now living in California, it is really astonishing how much in some states particularly states in the Northeast that fund local schools through local property taxes, how much of a powerful impact the schools can have on local property taxes. And therefore, the outcome of the school board election doesn't only concern parents and students, but taxpayers have a, have a are more directly impacted because once that school budget comes out, that's going to hit your property tax and it could have a significant effect.
1: You know, you can argue that the school district election, the school district board, has more impact on your daily life than any other level of government
0: because of the taxes. because of the
1: taxes, if you have children, if you don't have children, these are the things that affect your everyday life more than what's going on in the state capitol or in Washington.
0: yeah it's, it's it, and in New York especially it's uh, it's astonishing. Um, the when my uh, when my parents passed away, um, the, the house that I inherited was worth a hundred thousand dollars. And my parents were paying on a $100,000 house. They were paying between five dollars and $6,000 a year at that time in property taxes. So 5 to 6% every single year of what the house is worth was being paid in property taxes. And two-thirds of that was going to the local schools. Right. By contrast, in California, we have Proposition 13, which limits property taxes to 1% of what you paid for the house and then it can only go up at a rate of 1% a year. And then it can go up a little bit more with school bonds and so on. So it really is astonishing how much of an impact those the, that school budget uh, can have on
1: on all the residents of the town. And that being said, the turnout rates are still dis- dismal. You know, have to like 20%, so <laughs> if not less. Which is
0: astonishing, yeah, g- astonishing. given that. Yeah. But the low turnout rate can work. To someone's advantage. Too. Absolutely.
1: Take advantage of that. if you. If you know turnout's going to be well, you can target more people. Right. If you have the resources, you can theoretically knock on every single door, every single voter, potentially, if it, you have the
0: resources to do it. Right. The, and the scale of the district yeah. and, and so on. But that low turnout rate uh, means that the number of voters you have to contact could be much smaller. And a candidate doesn't have to necessarily have exactly you know a gigantic you might not uh, need a million operation dollars.
1: If so you on. able to do it, ten thousand dollars depends on the race, depends on the district.
0: Right. By contrast, uh, in San Diego County, California, a county uh, uh, board of education seat. There are five seats on a county board of education. There are three million voters in the county, so you're talking about literally hundreds of thousands of voters per seat, uh, as opposed to some little local school district where there might only be a couple hundred voters who we, determine we, the outcome.
1: We had. Main districts like that, where there's only a couple hundred people, if not less, are showing up to vote or having
0: that work. impact because
1: their districts are small.
0: So, the typical listener to this podcast might be someone who's running, for, who wants to run for school board, or is interested, or interested in helping someone uh, else who's who's running. So, what's your best advice beyond, of course, taking our school board program to, be, to get the training needed to run a campaign, but what are some of the things that candidates, potential candidates, should keep in mind?
1: Well, you have to know the issues. I, I, you're, you should go to a school board meeting, learn the issues, see what's going on, You know, get a feel for what's going on in the community at the school board meeting. See who's speaking at the school board meetings, what are the issues they're talking about, is it special ed, is it, is it sports, is it band? And then you get involved in the PTA and other local organizations and just get a feel for what's going on out there. Get the, the voter sentiment, to use, you know, to use the term.
0: It, when uh, when I joined a school board, I, I filled a vacancy that was left by someone who had, who had moved out of, out of the district. I not attended a lot of school board meetings in the past. I had a public policy background, uh, of course, but it was astonishing the number of issues I learned about once you start attending those meetings because those meetings are public. And many states have open meeting laws. It means the agenda has to be published in advance. And you really do learn a lot about what's going on. And there really is a whole culture around the school board that develops itself, uh, develops as well. And if you're going to run for that seat, parents are going to expect and voters are going to expect that you're able to talk from an informed position about those issues.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And oftentimes you have these candidates who don't necessarily, you know, have a knowledge of the issues they just run because maybe they think their taxes are too high or in some cases that maybe their kid was cut from the soccer team and they just want to seek revenge you know you, you do see those kind of candidates a lot of times in the school boards um and sometimes they're successful and sometimes they're not but you know, a good candidate at any level of government uh knows the issues and is involved in the issues and, and can speak you know informatively on the issues
0: and these are some of the things that we discuss in our the leadership institute's new school board Uh, campaign training program, which is available online at leadershipinstitute.org slash school board. Bill Falk is one of our expert faculty members who has recorded several of the lectures that are available online uh, through our online platform at leadershipinstitute.org slash school board. And we invite you, if you're interested in running for school board, serving on a school board campaign, just helping people or just get more involved in education in your community, there's a wealth of information that we have just launched and put up online that's available for you Through uh, through our online platform, the Leadership Institute is also a nonprofit, nonpartisan educational foundation. Contributions to the Leadership Institute are fully tax-deductible. You can make a contribution to support our mission of electing conservatives and training conservatives for uh, for elected office, like school board. You can support that mission by making a contribution at leadershipinstitute.org/slash donate Uh, and again if you're interested in running for school board leadershipinstitute.org slash school board our entire uh, curriculum of everything you need to know from beginning to end about running a successful campaign for school board featuring expert faculty members like Bill and you can reach it there today it's available for you 24 hours a day seven days a week bill thank you very much for joining us on this week's program
1: thank you for having me
0: all right thank you very much for joining us we look forward to seeing you next time thanks